the yearbook sportscast. But if we don't have a baseball season, the Texas Rangers will automatically, officially, go into the books as not having any pitching for the 48th consecutive year. That is a real number. In baseball, at least, is there any other team that has lacked one specific thing for its entire history? The team that X-Men Days of Future Past forgot in the movie Magneto destroys the Washington Senators Stadium, apparently forgetting that by then the Senators had moved to Texas and were already playing as the Rangers. You would think this is something Magneto would have known, or you would think that with his vast power set, this is something that Magneto could have known. I don't detect any life forces or any activity in the stadium. That team, the Texas Rangers, they have literally forever lacked good pitching. At various times, Texas has had a lineup full of youth movements. They've had championship caliber hitters or fielders. They've had the best catcher in the game. They've had among the best managers in the game, top minor leaguers, top veterans. And they have had one good pitcher at a time at times, like Nolan Ryan, but they've never had and are still searching for good pitching or at least a good pitching staff. And although this isn't the only reason, the Rangers have never won the World Series. They've drafted tons of pitchers, but have never been able to develop even good pitching. They've traded for pitchers and traded for highly regarded minor league pitching, but for whatever reason, it's just never worked out. There are equivalents in other sports. As some NHL franchises, of course, are forever searching for that true number one franchise goalie, but there aren't many examples where through a team's entire history, they'll fix it next year. They'll come back next year. They'll come back next year. They'll come back next year. Through a team's entire history, they have the exact same problem every single year. Currently, Texas manager Chris Woodward is in rebuilding mode, and Texas defied logic, not melodrama, it's true, by winning 78 games last year, Woodward's first. 2020 is not expected to be the Rangers' year, but it's very possible that Woodward's the guy. If Woodward is the guy, the guy to lead them to winning, fortunately, he was hired by the man who hired him, general manager John Daniels. Unfortunately, John Daniels is the same John Daniels who's carried on Texas's pitching list tradition since 2006. There were all kinds of front offices prior to Daniels who did the exact same thing, but now Daniels is also part of that timeline. Obviously, all the right people have just never been in the exact right place at the exact right time, but Texas has tried so many things and so many angles, including having pitching coach Tom House starting in the mid-1980s. I don't know why I said 19. It should have been obvious. House had a lot of ideas about pitching, so many ideas that the 1986 Texas Rangers media guide says House at the time is writing a book with the Rangers' former sabermetrician. Yes, when that media guide was printed, the Rangers already had a former sabermetrician, an expert in sabermetrics, advanced baseball stats, in 1986. House did a lot of things, including prior to games, his Rangers pitchers would walk onto the field and they would warm up by throwing footballs, not Nerf balls. They would throw regulation footballs. House's reasoning is that if you can't throw a perfect spiral, you can't throw a perfect spiral with lousy mechanics. If you throw a football wrong, it's going to look wrong. So in order to put perfect spiral on the ball, pitchers had to have perfect mechanics to throw that ball. Unfortunately, during that era too, 
not many of the Rangers' promising young pitchers developed into great or even good players. And after the early 90s, House was no longer the Rangers' pitching coach. Meanwhile, Tom Brady and Drew Brees are still playing quarterback and both are well past 40 years old. Brady and Brees' throwing coach is Tom House, the same guy. He's now a quarterback guru. Now, if you say, guess House was coaching the wrong sport in the 80s, his pitchers from those days, kind of like Brady and Breeze, they just kept on going. So many pitchers Tom House coached developed longevity and played Major League Baseball way into their 40s. House inherited Nolan Ryan and knuckleballer Charlie Huff at the end of their careers, and they just kept on going. For several more years, until they were each 46, former Ranger Jamie Moyer pitched until he was 49. And those are just the house pitchers that blew right past 44 years old. Uh, Former Ranger Bobby Witt pitched until he was 37. A couple of others went to 40 and above. So you can debate whether Tom House is an all-time revolutionary pitching coach that changed the game. He did have a lot of success in baseball and later successfully moved on to coaching USC's pitchers, where, uh, ironically, he got hooked up with some of his uh, football clientele. But House was laughed at a lot by some in the 80s. And now he's a guru. So he does fall into that select special category, just like web TV and all those other things that were, that were invented and no one wanted them until a few years later. Not like decades later, not like 120 years later. Something is invented like web TV. No one wants it. Like just a few years later, everyone wants a TV with internet on it. And that is uh, Tom House. Says in the yearbook at hotmail.com, to contact us, uh, get us where there are other podcasts. Speaking of teams that have one thing, this is not, does Stranger Things ever do a clip show? They do those anymore. This is not a clip show. We need to fill space. Let's do a rerun because this is like the third time we've mentioned it. And you know what? It, It deserves to be mentioned every week for the rest of the time because it's just amazing, just like we were amazed about the Rangers' one thing where they never, ever have pitching. The Blues' one thing was, what was it, the 1969 70 season? The Blues were in the Stanley Cup finals against the Bruins. And the very second in game four that Bobby Orr scored an overtime goal to end the series, four games to none for the Bruins, the very second that that happened, a photograph was snapped, and it is the most famous, the most iconic picture in National Hockey League history, or soaring through the air just as he scores the overtime goal that eliminates the Blues in the Stanley Cup Finals in Game 4. That very second, that very image, the split second that was taken, that was the very last breath the Blues drew in the Stanley Cup Finals until last year. Okay, how many teams that have been posterized by Michael Jordan uh, never showed their faces again? I mean, when when has this ever happened? A, a, a long time is a very long time, so it's bound to happen again. But what are the odds that a team's very last championship appearance, the very last second of a team's very last championship appearance becomes so iconic, and then all these years later, they finally arrive back in the Stanley Cup Finals last year against that very same franchise with a chance to avenge a photograph, one of the most famous photographs overall in world history, and the Blues did it. I mean, they pretty much had to win that series, and they did to avenge that long ago but still famous slash infamous photograph of the very last moment. Now you see the Blues in their final moments, literally, until last year when they came back. Uh, and avenged it. Did I mention I'm Doug? Did I say that? Uh, Today's theme is apparently the 80s. 
I don't know why or how this happened, an August 1989 issue of Sports Illustrated called then New Green Bay Packers cornerback Van Jakes, quoting, a vicious competitor, unquote, which is great knowing now that Van Jakes is now a big-time restaurant franchisee. I'm not sure which is his primary chain. He at least was a big-time owner of McDonald's restaurants, and he also owns some Jersey Mike's. So that quote is made for the McDonald's or Jersey Mike's official employee handbook. Vicious competitor, Jersey Mike's wants you at our new Harris Avenue location. We weren't sure what cutting college sports would look like. Now we know a little. With the expected loss of revenue due to COVID, uh, college athletic departments, especially the smaller ones, we're talking about eliminating sports they say they can't afford. But would teams just be suspended for a year or two, or would they be cut forever? And which sports? Bowling Green, for one, did drop a sport when this become big nationally, baseball. That was also a pretty successful team at Bowling Green. Falcons baseball was around since 1915. It produced a lot of pros and was in the NCAAs at about this time, just seven years ago. Now, colleges have vaguely sounded like this is the temporary elimination of teams until things stabilize, but it doesn't look temporary, and it might not even matter. The baseball facilities should all still be in place. So say Bowling Green baseball came back in 2022, but the coaches are gone and may now have other jobs. The players are gone, so you're starting all over and there's no chemistry. You're two years behind on recruiting. You're two years behind on pouring money into the program, and you're two more years removed from your last NCAA appearance and eternity, which is what opposing coaches will keep reminding your recruits, and your recruits also might not trust your university's commitment to baseball. I'm sure that successfully rebooting a team could be done. Uh, UAB football did it, although... Their coach stayed the whole time the team was on hiatus. It just seems like it should work. It's only been a year or two. A college team still has its name. It still has its reputation. Just bring the team back. But almost every time, it turns out you can't just turn everything back on. You know what I mean? Even when a team comes back, it doesn't really come back.